Electric Bastion Land, a role-playing game currently on Kickstarter. Is it better than Mothership? Sean McCoy sci-fi horror role-playing game? <laughs> or is there room for both of these? We'll find out in this episode where I interview Chris McDowell, the creator of Electric Bastion Land. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> I'm Alan Girding, and this is the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast that's all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the role-playing table. I said role-play table because I've been playing a crap ton of Mothership, which is why I am doubly excited about today's guest, Chris McDowell. Did I pronounce your name right, Chris? You did. Well done. <laughs> Not everybody manages it. And you're chiming in all the way from where? So I'm in Manchester in England. Great. I also want to take the time to apologize because we had a bit of cat and mouse going on, a little touch and go with trying to get in touch with one another. And that's yeah. totally my fault. I apologize. I, I blame whoever whoever insists on time zones still existing. I mean, you think they would find a solution by now? Yes. <laughs> Can we not just have one time zone for everyone? Yeah. And then you throw in the bullshit daylight saving for some time zones, but not all time zones. Yeah. And then it's just a mess. And then some countries actually do have a universal time, even though they span several time zones. I'm talking to you, China, and all our Chinese listeners. Oh, man. Anyway, Chris, let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Because this is the podcast all about stories. Tell me the story of how you got into gaming. What sparked your interest? So I think um, a pretty common starting point for people in the UK, especially, um, I think, whereas D&D is kind of the, it seems to be a place where a lot of the US-based role players got their start in like the basic box sets. Absolutely. Warhammer was sort of the, uh, the sort of lingua franca for us, really. Now, are you talking the skirmish game with the minis, or are you talking Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? Yeah, well, it, it really, the, the miniatures is where I sort of started. I think I must have been about nine or ten years old, and I remember um, there's no greater authority when you're about that age than a child in the year above you, who, in my memory, this child was like some kind of um, man who'd been around the world and uh, discovered so many <laughs> things. But now I think back, he must have been some 11-year-old kid. But you sort of look up to the, the year above with such a such reverence and it was a sort of a show and tell sort of thing that we were doing he had brought in a uh, a load of sort of warhammer figures and warhammer magazines and um i distinctly remember there being some tyranids and some uh i think because we're talking warhammer 40k then if you're talking tyranids yeah well this was 40k and then i think i um i sort of slipped into fantasy and then into warhammer quest which was kind of a Sort of a oh dun, dun. my goodness! Yeah, I mean that this was... may be the first time someone mentioned Warhammer Quest. <laughs> I cannot tell you the amount of hours wasted playing Warhammer Quest. Oh yeah, my father is an obsessive completionist. My father went ahead and made sure we had the minis for every single monster oh, wow. in Warhammer Quest. Oh, I still remember we used to like dream about if you could run Warhammer Quest in the Games Workshop store. Oh, man. So you could sort of, you know, you roll a chaos dwarf or whatever. <laughs> you can go and pick one up off the shelf. But yeah, we, there was a lot of, uh, I, I was at the other end of the spectrum where a lot of things were represented by 
Lego people and so on, and whatever the nearest thing you had to a, a Minotaur or so on would uh, would get thrown down onto the board to represent that monster. Chris, I'm so excited talking about this. You don't even know what this has reawakened within me. I mean, I'm happy to just, you know, Warhammer Quest podcast. Yeah, we could totally just do that. <laughs> There's so many little niche things. For the uninitiated, if you don't know what Warhammer Quest is, and you do know what Hero Quest is... Hero Quest. Deep inside another dimension, face battling barbarians and evil magic on a quest for adventure in a maze of monsters. Warhammer Quest is kind of like Hero Quest in that you go into a dungeon and you battle your way through, except it had missions between quests, randomly generated rooms and what they were filled with. Yeah. And upgrading spells. You're talking about leveling up galore. And it really did try to inject more role-playing game elements into what was Hero Quest, which is much more just a tabletop game. Yeah, and it had those um, sort of the between the dungeon tables. So you'd roll random events on the way to town. Yes. And then you sort of have random events in the tavern because there weren't that many events on the tavern table. And I think the distribution may have been something like 3D6. I think it wasn't a linear distribution, so you would get some results more often than others. I just remember you would end up with lots of tattoos because... (laughs) If you made it that far, because the game was also brutal. It was so insanely difficult until just by chance, I rolled a spell that the wizard got first thing level one, which was the heal spell. And it almost seems mandatory that that needs to be the spell that the wizard has in order for your party to even have any chance of survival through the first couple missions. Yeah, I, I, I really don't think balance was a, was a high priority because I remember there were a few magic items you could get. Yeah, it was insane. Some would be useless, but that, that was kind of the uh, a part of the appeal, really, I think. It was just the you didn't quite know what you were going to get each time you played. I think we used to play it without a GM. It was just me and a couple of friends would play. Yeah, I never played with a GM, for sure. It was all just rolling on these random tables. So if you hate random roll tables, you're not going to like Warhammer Quest. No, no. And they have an app now. Have you tried the app or the computer? I program? think I saw it, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't want to, to ruin the uh, the pure memory I have of it by uh, by playing an app version, maybe. But uh, yeah, is it, is it good? You know, I downloaded it, paid for it, played about two minutes, and there was a tutorial. I don't think I made it through the tutorial because it wasn't scratching that whole nostalgia itch that I hoped. No. So I, I don't know. It seems interesting to me because the big appeal with Warhammer Quest was getting together with your friends and having that face-to-face experience with them. Yeah, definitely. And just it was a very tactile game. It had those big thick cardboard tiles and uh, tons of miniatures in the box. The huge plastic doors. Yeah, yeah. They were huge. I think part of the reason that I got that game after getting Fantasy Battles was I I was in a games workshop and um, I think one of the games workshop staff was uh, basically laying out everything that was in the box on the table. And saying, sort of, once you get it out, you won't get everything back in the box. It's that full of random stuff like spiders and bats and orcs and so on, minotaurs. Yeah, so I, th- I think as, even as, as well as being a great game, I think I was after the, uh, the bulk discount on plastic that you got for buying this huge box. And the game itself was a gem. Well, I mean, interestingly, Hero Quest, I actually got after Warhammer Quest. Obviously, it's a much simpler, well, simpler in every way, really, uh, game than Warhammer Quest. You can pop it out and play it in an hour, whereas it's, it's less of a project to undertake than a game of Warhammer Quest. So we got that, and the problem was it was missing two things because it was a hand-me-down. Uh-oh. Annoyingly, it was missing the, was it a gargoyle or something? There was like a big, big monster the in there. The main baddie was the gargoyle. The coolest thing in the box was missing, of course. 
so we didn't have that and I didn't have the adventure guide so that I had like the rule book but I didn't have the one that had all the scenarios in it right well that's that is the most important thing because without that you have no adventures to do unless you go online which didn't exist then or unless you just become a game designer is what you do Oh, is this where this is going? <laughs> yeah, this is where this is going. So, all, all we oh had—we we, we had all the pieces, and obviously, HeroQuest had all the cool little cardboard furniture. That would be the one advantage, I guess, it had over Warhammer Quest was had like the fireplace and the chests. To this day, nothing in my mind has compared to the furniture set pieces yeah. that came with HeroQuest. To this day, I still have seen nothing that comes close. No, no, there was definitely something magic about them, and through a combination of not having the adventure. So we, we had to basically, um, so me and a friend would play, we'd, we couldn't play it like you'd play Warhammer Quest where you play sort of against AI, I guess. One of us had to be effectively a GM. Zargon, the evil wizard. Yeah, but this is before we, I had probably heard of D&D at the time. I'd, I'd certainly seen the cartoon, but I wasn't, I, I think at the time I was too young to really think that it was something I could be involved with. So at the time, not knowing that we were GMing. We were basically just making up adventures for the other person using this board. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into GMing, I guess, and sort of creating scenarios on the fly, breaking the rules a little bit to make it work. The thing I remember as well is because we didn't have the big gargoyle demon figure that was sort of the coolest miniature in the box, uh, we would just like put random models that we had in there. And we had some kind of like Grim Reaper type monster figure that sort of became like the boss of the dungeon a lot of the time. At the time, our very basic rule was that if he touched you, you died, and you just couldn't kill him. Oh, man. So it's, yeah, it's, if you want to talk about killer GMs. It's a cat and mouse GMs, game once again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just had to run away from it. Yeah, 10-year-old me was, was brutal. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. That's such a good origin story. So when did you officially dive into what is a role-playing game? Did you ever get into official Dungeons & Dragons or actually dive into Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? Because that's my background. I've spent more hours playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay than any other role-playing game. <laughs> it's it's close because um, so over here they have uh, Games Day, which is the big sort of games workshop convention. And again, before there was the internet, this was after White Dwarf. White Dwarf was no longer sort of a generic gaming magazine at this point. It was just the Games Workshop magazine, essentially. Gotcha. I, I wasn't even really aware that there was a scene outside of Warhammer because, you know, Warhammer had the Games Workshop shops on high streets in UK towns. All the sort of the proper hobby shops were hidden away down some alleyway that I would never have sort of come across as a child. So I knew about Games Workshop, so I went to the convention and uh, in sort of one of the side rooms tucked away was the, uh, I think it was Hogshead Publishing, was it, at the time, that published uh, published Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? This was first edition, this was. Man, that's pre when I started playing, honestly. But I think, I think this would have been around 90, maybe 96. So I think it was perhaps between editions, or, may, or maybe they just had an older edition available, but either way, there was a stall at this convention selling Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay stuff, and why have I never heard of this? Like, it's never been in White Dwarf. It's never been, you never, you never, you don't see it in a Games Workshop shop. So good. The, uh, I knew that Warhammer Quest had what was called a roleplay book, which was the book that had all the sort of between the dungeon, well, it had most of the sort of running the game section in it. Yeah. That was a sort of a, maybe a couple of hundred pages long, if that. And then you had the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, gigantic tome filled with charts that didn't make sense. And yes. So rough, so raw. 
you're going from Warhammer Quest having your barbarian wizard and elf, and then you start looking through and you see agitator and footpad and all these crazy careers. You know, what's amazing is, I, I know I'm plot spoiling a little bit here, Chris, but I noticed in your role-playing game, there's a career system, and I thought, this guy has to have played Warhammer Fantasy Oh, it's 100%. 100% taken from there. There's a particular one. I've actually got got this page up now, so I'll um, later on I'll show you the particular career that sort of gives the game away, if you like. Gotcha. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for those listening right now, I sincerely have never had a single conversation with Chris before, except through email. And even then, it's been sparse. It's just been like, are you available now? How about now? No? How about now? Great. Oh, wait. Wrong time zone. Whoops. <laughs> okay. How about now? And that's been going on for over a month now. Yeah, it's felt so longer. let's get back to the story. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so excited. <laughs> career system. So career system, yeah. It's the first time I'd seen this idea that you'd have... Um, you know, I think there are over over 100 careers or something like that. Is it in total in that in that system? They're certainly not what you'd call like a detailed class. Each one is sort of you get a few skills and some equipment, but it's just right. what it represented uh, is something I hadn't seen before. It was always a case of you know in Hero Quest you had the Barbarian Wizard Elf. In Warhammer Quest you had a few ex- you had extra characters you could buy, like the Noble yep. and the uh, yeah. And, they were expansions. Yeah, yeah. There was, and they were totally I broken. They, did they ever get the Witch Hunter? <laughs> I don't even remember if they had a Witch Hunter in Warhammer. I remember the, the two that I had were sort of completely broken. I think it was pay to win on an early level because. Uh, <laughs> we, had, yes. like the, we had like the pit fighter, which is like a gladiator sort of thing. Yes, and he I was remember. insane. Like he was just so much better than other people at fighting. Everybody else. Yeah, yeah. But in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, there's so many different careers, and they branch off into other careers. So if you started as like a hedge wizard, which is just someone who can do the equivalent of really weak prestidigitation, then you could actually start going into different wizardries. And then you had to choose a specialty of what kind of school of magic you'd go into. But the best part, I'm sorry, I'm going off. I just realized no, I'm no, getting ahead of myself because I'm getting so excited. No, the best part is Come the on. world. <laughs> yeah, you have the four evil gods of chaos. And the problem with magic is that in most areas, it's outlawed. It's supposed to be magic light where most people wouldn't dare use it because one of the problems with causing magic is you accidentally may tap into the chaos of some of these chaotic gods, which would corrupt you. So it was almost this press your luck thing where you could do the most amazing, powerful things as a wizard with the most dreadful consequences. And do you even remember the tagline to Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? It's still there. Oh, um, oh, is I, I don't remember, no. Perilous adventure in a grim world. Yeah, that's, that's come back to me now as soon as you said it, yeah. Yeah, don't get too attached to your characters, or if you are attached to your character, just make sure that character isn't too attached to their limbs or their sanity or their health. It's basically my elevator pitch explanation for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is it's Dungeons and Dragons mixed with Call of Cthulhu because you have to worry about sanity and corruption and all this other amazing things. It's so dark and so yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I got all the books from second edition behind me in the shelf. Literally every single one you name it, I've got it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I got the Marienburg, which is one of the city expansions. Yes. There was some good stuff. I, I'm going to preempt. You're going to get an angry comment from someone uh, pointing out that in the first edition of, uh, of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, there were five Chaos Gods. What? Yeah. I didn't even know this. Well, you new school second edition guys obviously aren't as hardcore as the... uh... Wait, let me try really quick. (laughs) Because the four that I know are obviously Zinch, 
which is like the god of power and magic. If you're really into being the best, that was Zinch. There's Slaanesh, which is everything oh so sexy and hedonistic. Then there's Nurgle, which is anything that is disgusting, basically. So pustules and disease and plague. And then there's Corn, the chaos god of like war and death and just ah, just beast men and animalistic rage. Ah, so what is this fifth one that I'm so ignorant on? Oh my goodness! I, I don't know if it appeared in anything other than this first edition. It's what it was part of like the weird early early versions of Warhammer had Malal, who was the god of death, which. Oh, wow. It is, is less, just generally less interesting than all the other four, to be honest. So uh, I, I've never thought about him since. But uh, as soon as you said that, I remember, I think at the time when I got this book, it must have already been quite outdated because it had loads of weird stuff in that wasn't present in the Warhammer setting anymore. It had like, you know, zotes and just weird monsters that I'd never heard of and then mysteriously vanished from the uh, from the next edition. I've got to ask, we have these personality tests that we do, like, what house of Harry Potter do you believe you belong? Are you Gryffindor? But what chaos god do you think you would be most prone <laughs> to getting corruption? I mean, the, the, it's it's not a good answer, but something about Nurgle just draws... Really? I mean, it's the, 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 thing, the thing with Nurgle is, it's because it, it, I think they've gone a long way towards making each of the gods seem appealing in their own way. And, right, and Nurgle is always the toughest sell. So please, well, again, you know, alleviate my ignorance. What is the appeal to Nurgle? Nurgle cares a lot about his followers. His diseases are gifts to you, and I'm sure if you change your mindset, you could. Uh, it's like being in a very lovely, horrible relationship with a horrible disease god. And it's... and I am just very lazy. Like ev- everything else, like corn fighting all the time. No, yeah, Slanesh. I don't think I've got the charm to get in there. It'd be like. Every time I go to a nightclub and I'm just looking around at people that are all cool and sexy and um, I feel a bit out of place. And uh, Zinch, I don't know. Zinch feels like the obvious nerd one to go for. I think it would, yeah, it, yeah. It, it'd would be full of people that are a lot smarter than me. So I think Nurgle, I'd be able to settle in nicely. I would say during adolescence, I was definitely corn, just angry. And then once I got into college age, it was definitely Slanesh. <laughs> the Slanesh years. I, yeah, I, I've always heard it pronounced differently, all these. But then now in my, what is my midlife, it would probably be Zinch. But Nurgle is, again, as we just talked about, less appealing. But you said he d- is the one that takes the most care of his followers. I mean, and- give it a try. Next time you've got a cold, just relax. Try and lean into it. Consider it a gift. Let it happen. That's interesting. I have done that in the past, though, because I'm one of these people that doesn't hate being sick because you feel so amazing once it's gone. And it (laughs) happens so rarely that it's always such a memorable experience. It's almost like telling someone your dream. I have this impulse to tell people, dude, I couldn't stop shivering. It was amazing. And I would puke and or shit every 10 minutes. I couldn't believe what was going through my body. It was incredible. Maybe Nurgle's the long game. Just, you know, get, get Nurgle's rot and turn into a horrible slug monster. And then just think how great you'll feel afterwards. Although I, I don't think yes. there is. I don't think there's really an afterwards in this scheme. No, no, there's no reversal. You just got to embrace it. No. Oh, man. Chris, we're getting off track. We are, okay, we are. so we both love Warhammer, right? <laughs> At what point did you say, I'm going to start making my own shit? So after sort of, I, I tried to run Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay many times. Uh, with mixed success, if I'm being generous, I do love the system, but I find for the way that I like to play games, it's just a bit too 
crunchy for me. You know, that there's a lot going on. There's lots of percentile, very low percentage chances of success, which kind of makes sense in the setting. But at the table, it never quite meshed for me. So I've uh, my start in D&D was actually third edition. Nice. Not a bad entryway. Um, okay. Uh, you disagree? <laughs> it was rough? Go for it. The problem is I, I'm definitely at quite an extreme end of the spectrum when it comes to how much complexity I like in my role-playing games. I think I love the idea of a role-playing game because I'm, on some level, I think I'm always looking for that experience when we were playing HeroQuest, where you're just making stuff up and uh, coming up with things yes. on the fly and you're thinking more about the situation. Like we used to use that, that little fireplace was a, a, every single time it was a trap. And you'd, you'd, yeah, you'd have you'd walk into the room, and one of us would put down the fireplace and say, "Oh, look, there's a there's a fireplace in this room. What's what's going to happen?" You don't need loads of rules to to make that into a fun experience. And th- again, third edition, right. I did have some fun with it, but it was just, especially, I didn't even look at the higher levels because it just gets into a different sort of experience than what I'm looking for. I sort of drifted away from that sort of type of D and D really, and. Uh, dabbled around with making a few sort of really sort of rules light takes on different role-playing games and eventually the one that I kind of settled on was um, Into the Odd which uh, I released sort of I think it's about five years ago now and the goal really was just to see if I could take the core of something like D&D sort of the original box sets really Uh, so stripping it right back and seeing how much stuff can you remove without breaking it and how much stuff do you actually need to have that fun role-playing experience at the table, but still keep it to feel like it's a it's a game and it's a challenge because there's lots of rules like games that are sort of more about collaborative storytelling and more about just coming up with a story. But I still wanted it to feel like a challenge, dangerous, but for it to be as stripped back as possible. And that's what Into the Odd ended up being. You're making me realize so many things here because I don't think I've ever played a role-playing game Riven just house ruled the hell out of it. Oh, definitely. My favorite role playing times are the opposite of when you have to dive into the rule book. I remember playing a lot of second edition D&D. My dungeon master was my older brother's friend and he knew that we didn't like the nitty gritty rule of combat. And so we just all rolled D20s and he would say, okay, you take out six skeletons with only receiving a couple wounds. And he was just pulling it out of his ass based upon our rolls, almost like he was reading tea leaves instead of going to charts and looking everything up. And it moved so smoothly and enabled us to really have that anticipation and tension of our dice rolls without getting bogged into the nitty gritty. It was almost faith-based in that we just put so much faith into our dungeon master. He was doing his best and we're doing our best with our own dice rolls and our own decisions. Really taking it from the rule books of the game and putting it onto the table in between the players. Yeah, and that's huge. I think what you've sort of pointed on there is I think when you want to go in that rules light approach to a role-playing game, there's two ways to go really. The one way is to do something like, I mean, have you played um, Fiasco? Oh, of course. Yes, fiasco. Great. It's all about relationships. Exactly. And the, the the whole point of that is there's no GM and you're all creating the story together and everybody is sort of on a level playing field. There's no one that has the power like a GM would have the power in a traditional role-playing game. In that system, you don't really need many rules. It just kind of works because of the structure that's in place. And the other way to go is if you are going to have someone in that position of having a sort of power imbalance, if you like, with the GM, it is so much about trust. I wanted to create a game that worked on the assumption that you trusted the GM, because if you don't trust the GM to run the game properly, 
and you don't trust the group to talk to each other like responsible people, then what you end up with is a game that reads like a legal document. So you'll read like a spell and it'll be like the wish spell and it'll read like, yes, you can do this and this and you can have this many pounds of matter. No, at the table, if you're all friends and you've all know what you're doing, you can say you've got a wish and you can make it work. And the wish spell almost doesn't need a description. I mean, it's a bad example because wish spell is kind of a crazy thing anyway. But um, yeah, you get the point. The antithetical of this, my worst role-playing experiences have been anytime anyone's hosted a game of Pathfinder because they're so indoctrinated into these rules. I always hear this cliche expression. Best thing about Pathfinder, there's a rule for everything. Worst thing about Pathfinder, there's a rule for everything. Yeah, exactly. It felt just almost like I was playing Twilight Imperium rather than role-playing at some point. Well, Chris, I want you to talk more about Into the Odd, but I also want to touch upon Electric Bastion Land as well. Yes. I'll leave the choice up to you. We always punish our guests by having them do an elevator pitch, a one-minute explanation of the spirit of the game. Now, would you like to explain Into the Odd using an elevator pitch, or would you like to explain Electric Bastion Land with the elevator pitch? The choice is yours. We'll go to Electric Bastion Land. Correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is Into the Odd provides you the rule set, and Electric Bastion Land uses Into the Odd and gets more specific and goes in creative avenues from there on out. Is that a totally incorrect assumption? It's it's close. Um, essentially, Electric Bastion Land is a standalone book. So it has everything you need in there because the beauty of Into the Odd is that the rules that you actually need fit on a two-page spread. Got you. So the rules are in this book as well. So you could just pick up Electric Bastion Land having never heard of Into the Odd and it's a complete role-playing game. Now let me ask before you get into the elevator pitch... If I get Electric Bastion Land, is there any need to purchase Into the Odd? The way that handled is a little bit different. Into the Odd is almost intended to be a bit like the D&D basic set almost, but condensed into like a little book. So it's got a pre-made dungeon, pre-made wilderness, pre-made town. And Beautiful. it's very light in terms of what it tells you about the setting. It kind of gives you a very broad stroke of the paintbrush and says, this is the world, now work it out. And here's a lot of example content. And it's sort of a little 48-page booklet. Electric Bastion Land is going to be closer to 300-odd pages. The rules are still going to be just a two-page spread. This teaches you how to... Wait, wait. This sounds like we're getting into elevator pitch territory. It's, a, it's, it's essentially a different take on the same game. Got you. That sounds great. So there is room for both then, for sure, it sounds like. Yeah. Not only do you have to do an elevator pitch, you have to do it with a character. Okay. It could be a character that you'd come across in Electric Bastion Land. Yeah, so most of the book is made up of failed careers. So there are 100 failed careers, and your character will have one of these failed careers which you might recognize as uh, very similar to the career system from a warmer fantasy roleplay. I love it. Um, rat catcher. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, there is one that is definitely a nod to the rat catcher. I could have a character that has that failed career and uh, I could work on that. Do you want to leave it a surprise or are you going to tell us up front? Uh, no, we'll, 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 we'll keep it a surprise. We'll do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs> you just let me know when you want to start by saying the words, ding me, SBJ. Ding me, SBJ. My name is Otto, and I'm a squid bagger here in Bastion. Um, 
Now, not many people know that not, uh, 70% of Bastion's products contain cephalopod-derived parts. According to these studies, we keep the city running. Like I say, I'm a squid bagger. I've inherited a massive debt of £10,000 and I've got barely D6 pounds in my pocket at the moment, so I'm going to have to become a treasure hunter and go and find my riches whatever dangerous place I can. So being a squid bagger, I've got my squid hook, I've got a bag, <laughs> and uh, I'm accompanied by a small but violent otter. I always wanted to be a dentist, so I've got my pliers and I've got a bottle of ether, and that's about it. I think I'm going to be heading out pretty soon to try and find my fortune. And... Uh, yeah, that's Electric Bastion Land. Oh my goodness. Well, there's years of drama school paying off. <laughs> I, you know, I say this too often, but that's one of my favorite pitches I've heard for sure. Because here's the thing. I am a huge animal lover. And the idea of having an otter instead of a Jack Russell Terrier as a rat catcher. Yeah. And the fact that I have this otter helping me capture squids. <laughs> Such an amazing take on something. I'm in. I'm sold. But this is just one of the many careers that you can jump from. Yeah, and this is just one of the types of squid bag you could get as well. So there's 100 careers. You roll your very few ability scores that you have and your hit points and your Mm -hmm. number of pounds that you have in your pocket. And uh, your D6 HP and your D6 number of pounds give you your answer a question about your character. So for the squid bagger, for instance, the first question on this page is what always accompanied you to see? If you had one pound, if you rolled one, you get a small but violent otter, as we said. But there's six other, well, f- sorry, five <laughs> other animals that you could have had as your pet that accompanied you to see to catch squids. What are the basic stats then? Because in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, you've got your combat, your toughness, your uh, equivalent of agility. I'm going off of memory here because Yeah, there it's were some like years. 12 scores or something, wasn't it? There? there was quite a lot. So as, like I said, my goal was to try and strip back as much as I can. So it's three ability scores. Strength, dexterity, and charisma, and that's it. And uh, you roll nice. 3d6 for each of them. So say you had 12 strength. If you need to make a strength save, you need to roll a d20 and get 12 or less. And I've essentially just explained the game. Wow. Yeah. that's. <laughs> but you haven't explained talents and skills, because the big thing with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is you basically wanted to go into different careers not only just for the storytelling aspect, but sometimes your desire for a specific skill. So with every career, is there a different skill? How do you handle skills? There are no skills in this game. Oh man, that's beautiful. So simple. I, I've got nothing against skill systems and I think there's definitely a place for them. But again, this is it, the whole system is kind of an experiment. And what I wanted to do was to see if you could get that sort of feel across in equipment. Like I say, the, the second little table here for the squid bagger is when you roll your HP, it tells you, what did you always want to do instead? Because nobody wants to be a squid bagger. I mean, I don't know. It, it sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I want to be a squid bagger in a role-playing game, but not in real life. I mean, if you rolled one HP, then your answer would have been, you live for squid bagging, and you get to replace your hook with a prototype cephalopole, which is an enhanced squid hook. Yeah, maybe you were like a, a, the kid that always dreamed of being a squid bagger, but you had uh, Be a Dentist was the one that I picked off here at random. So you've got pliers and a bottle of ether. So there's no dentistry skill or surgery skill, but if you've got some ether and some pliers, you're basically a surgeon, you know, under the right circumstances. Yeah, that's so unique, at least to my mind. I, I may be not well-versed enough. I 
really want to play this with you. <laughs> Are you at any conventions where you're hosting this game by any chance? Um, not. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, to try and make it to Gen Con next year. It would be the first time I've gone to a convention outside of the UK. What about within the UK? Are you going to the UK Game Expo? Yeah, well, I was, I was at the UK Games Expo this year, and I'll be at Dragon Meet in December in, in London. How do I get my hands on Electric Bastion Land? So if you go to bastionland.com, there's a link to the Kickstarter, which is going on now. And um, it's it's going to be a pretty straightforward Kickstarter. There's not going to be loads of extra add-ons like bookmarks and dice and mugs and so on. It's just going to be a book. And the more we raise, the better the book's going to look and the better the book's going to feel. You son of a bitch. Are you telling me that I can't get my hands on this yet? No, yeah, not yet. Because uh, the main thing, that the next step is getting all the artwork so we've got uh, Luca Rayach is doing all of the art, who's uh, fantastic. So what are we looking at here? Are we looking at a hardback? Yeah. I wanted to do a big book that wasn't a big book of rules, essentially. The whole point of this is that there's not a big section on the setting. If you want to understand the setting, just read about the characters. The fact that I've told you about Squid Bagger probably tells you something about the city of Bastion already. It already paints a picture of a world. So good. All right, what about Into the Odd? That is available right now. What's the best way to get my mitts on Into the Odd? Yeah, so Into the Odd is available. It's currently on, there's PDF and print on demand. It's available on drive-through RPG. But if you go to bastionland.com, there's links to everything on there. That's my blog and website. Now, Chris, a lot of our knaves and knights are game designers. So what if I had a really great idea of writing an adventure for Electric Bastion Land or maybe even Into the Odd? And I wanted to get that to you. Is there some way that you're offering a publication through official Chris McDowell support? What's what's the story there of I think, man, I could really write some good adventures for you? So at the moment, I'd say if you if you have an idea, then tell me about it and just just do it, essentially. <laughs> I'm not going to just do it and then contact you and tell you about it, share it with you. And yeah, I, I love seeing what people do with it, but it's kind of, I'm putting this system out there for people to use. And it's, it's amazing when people come up with something to, something to use it for. So, um, I'm always happy to see those things out. This is a great opportunity to promote your social media connections. What's the best way to keep in touch with everything Chris McDowell? So we do have an Into the Odd Discord server. Ooh, nice. There's a link on Bastionland. On there also, there's, um, I run the OSR Discord server as well. So that, that's another way of getting hold of me. I'm on Discord quite a lot. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at Bastionland, a nice easy one to remember. Hey, we have two more things to do before we go. You ready to help be a shill for me for our sponsor? <laughs> as long as it's no one terrible, yeah. I'll let you be the judge. Here we go. Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff for money. And we'll talk about your stuff, but only if we like it. <laughs> Are you a fan of genocide? Well, then, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, how much am I getting paid for this? I mean, um, everyone's got their price. Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. No, <laughs> we'll see if we can do this organically. Chris, into the odd, you said you wrote and sold. Is that how that worked? Yeah, yeah. All right, but this one, you're self-publishing, yes? Yes, that's right. Now, this may be different because it's a role-playing game, but what have you done for your early editions? Have you gone to the printer? Are you just doing electronic documents? Are you sharing it with an audience? How are you sharing and getting playtesting at the early stages of Electric Bastionland? I mean, the main way I do it is I just keep talking to people about it until they agree to playtest it, or I just show up at people's house with a printed-out copy in a folder. Nice. If only there was a better way. 
Chris, you're awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I want to tell you about thegamecrafter.com. Have you heard of thegamecrafter.com? I have. I've heard you mention them before. Oh my goodness! Wait, you've listened to the show before? Are you are you a knave? I listened to one episode on my way, on my drive home tonight because I thought I'd better listen in just in case this guy's a maniac. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, so thegamecrafter.com. I'm so glad you listened before. Thank you so much. Our most popular episode to this day is still our Mothership episode where we did a live playcast ah. of Mothership. But thegamecrafter.com is the opportunity for people to get their games pre-published for prototyping or even final publication, and they can actually sell on thegamecrafter.com. So if you're a game designer or if you're just a fan of game design, or if you wanted your crappy components replaced with higher quality components, you can just go on thegamecrafter.com and print them out on your own or order from their component shop. It's a one-stop shop for all of your gaming slash designing needs. Pretty awesome. Anyway, that's it. Right. What'd you, what'd you think? <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I've, I've never actually, because I do dabble in a little bit of board game design, but it's nothing I've ever sort of um, taken taken beyond the prototype stage. But uh, I have looked at GameCrafter.com, so I can, I can genuinely say that I'm interested. Thank you so much for being a shill. <laughs> hey, Chris, we got a Kickstarter that you should all check out if you want to check out Electric Bastion Land. If you want yep. more information, you can pretty much just Google Electric Bastion Land. We're going to provide the links in the description below. Also, there's Discord and your Twitter, which people can follow. And what's yep. your Twitter again? Uh, at Bastion Land. Gotcha. That's kind of convenient. Now, is yeah. it Bastion Land? B-A-S-T-I-O-N? That's it. Cool. Anything we didn't cover? Um, it depends. Do you have Do you have four minutes? Four minutes? Four minutes. Yes, let's do it. So one thing I've liked to, I've enjoyed doing with people is uh, rolling up a character. Oh, please, let's do this. Are you just kidding to, me? Just to demonstrate the, the, the speed that we can do it. Oh my, yes, let's do it. Have you got some D6s? I do, but can you hold on for a minute? Yeah, 3D6 would be ideal. 3D6 coming up, hold on. This is actually pretty funny because... I thought I'd have to go to my dice bin, but then I realized I have copies of World Championship Russian Roulette right behind me. <laughs> That's one of the games we publish, and it has D6s. They're specialized D6s, nice. but I have the prototype copy from thegamecrafter.com behind me, and they wow. have beautiful D6s that I have. How do they feel, those D6s? <sighs> Quality. I would think that I would have gone to a professional dice maker for these, because I did, thegamecrafter.com. All right. They sound great. Oh, wow. They do sound great. I've got them. <laughs> Tell me what to do, sir. So you need to roll. Uh, for your three ability scores, which would be strength, dexterity, and charisma, it's going to be 3d6 for each of those. Rolling strength. Eight. Shit. <laughs> Rolling dexterity. Ten. Rolling charisma. Thirteen. Hey, I'm charismatic. So you are charismatic and slightly weak and sort of medium dexterity. Uh, you also get D6 for your HP, which is hit protection. Rolling HP, three. Okay, so, you know, average. And then you get D6 pounds in your pocket. Oh, man, come on, money. Six! Boom. Six! So the measure that we use is D6 pounds is enough for a sandwich of varying quality. So six pounds would get you a very good sandwich. Delicious. So what I do now is I look at your highest ability score and your lowest ability score on the failed career matrix. And that's going to tell me which of the 100 failed careers you have. Okay. So your highest score is 13. 
Mm-hmm. Your lowest score is eight, and that gives you career number 40. So your failed career, number 40, is revolutionary duelist. That is the sweetest shit I've ever heard in my life, but I failed at this career. You are the sword tip of change in Bastion, and sometimes change for its own sake. So you have some sample names here that you can use, or you can come up with your own name. So your sample names are Epe, Sabo, Fole, or Gian. I'm going to be Sabo Van Gerd. Go for it. And you get a couple of things just for, for free. So you get uh, puffy clothes. Nice. Pompish. Yeah. And a mirror. Oh. Oh. Now, I'm assuming I wrote that thinking like a hand mirror, but feel free to elaborate on your mirror. If now, you... it's a hand mirror because I'm beautiful, too beautiful to be dueling forever. Heaven forbid this beautiful charismatic face be marred. Hmm. For I'm Sabo Von Gerd. <laughs> and you get your weapon of choice is what's going to be determined by your number of pounds. So you rolled six pounds. Yes. So you get a claymore. Oh, shit. So there's, yeah, that would do D8 damage, and that's all you really need to know about that. Well, I do have a question, though. Yeah. I assume you mean I've got one of those claymores from the Scotland Highlands that's a huge horse-killing sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A gi- giant sword. Or it could also be an explosive device that I could set up, but I think you mean the sword, not the I think if device. you wanted to have one landmine instead of a claymore uh, sword, I'd, as a GM, I would allow that. But, um, hmm. <laughs> but I think you'll want the sword, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, we'll go with sword. And then secondly, your second question is, what's your flair? So your three HP answers that, and you get a smoke bomb. Oh my goodness, so I do have a bit of a bomb. Yeah, smoke bomb. <sighs> And then your character is essentially done. My goodness, you know what I'm going to do, GM? I'm going to actually trade that Claymore for that landmine. And the reason I'm a retired revolutionary duelist is because I definitely dueled with explosives more than anything else. Just like a single mine duel. Yes. And it doesn't go well with my vanity. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was super quick. Yeah, so that's it. And the, the, the whole point is I've, I try to sort of get as much, as much flavor into that very quick process as possible so that I almost don't need to tell you about the setting before we start the game. You get, you get something from that. Yeah, my mind is just turning with all of the potential settings and adventures and layout. The story is setting itself. It really does have that fiasco mix of creating these relationships, but the relationships are coming in the form of my equipment, my failed career, my stats. It's beautiful. Well done, yeah. sir. Well and you're done. all tied together by, like I say, you start with a £10,000 debt, which is kind of your call to action, if you like. So you have £6 uh, and you owe £10,000. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a shared debt between the whole party. So Bastion has a lot of bureaucracy and kind of uh, lots of red tape. So you ended up with a shared debt. And you actually have a little note here that says who you owe the money to based on your background. So you owe it to Dr. Harold Pang, archaeologist. Oh, that swindler. I don't know why he gave me the money in the first place. He will pay double value of items if they are still dusty from the excavation. (laughs) So if you get your treasure back with the dust still on it, you can pay off your debt twice as quickly. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on this show. I want to tell everyone to please check out his Kickstarter. It's live right now. Pound that subscribe button, follow us, share the shit out of this episode. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or you want to become a knight, leaving your knave status behind, or if you want to be a comrade, please email us, podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. You can follow us on all the social media. That's at PlayTKG. And I think with that being said, Chris... This episode is... 
finished. Von Gerdher appearing at my beautiful visage in my hand mirror. I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that Tuesday Night Games will be at Board Game Geek Convention in Dallas, Texas, coming soon, and also PAX Unplugged. So I hope to see you there. It will be explosive. Because <laughs> I have claymores and smoke bombs. And check out Electric... Electric Bastion Land on Kickstarter now. <laughs> Beautiful.